I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. You want to know what I tell myself? That she was my miracle. And that I let her go. Because I wanted a better life for her, and so did your wife. You don't own me, I'm not your property. So take a shifty little bitty eye me. Oh my god, I'm not answer that. That's that's a tough question. Welcome to Eyes on Gilead, our weekly podcast dedicated to The Handmaid's Tale. There is a lot going on in this show and we think it helps to talk it out after every episode of The Handmaid's Tale Season 3 premieres on SBS and at SBS On Demand. I'm Fiona Williams and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS and I'm joined by my colleagues and fellow resistors, Sana Kadar of ABC Life. Hello. Natalie Hambly of SBS Life. Hi. And Heidi Island of SBS On Demand. Hi. And... Baby Greta, who's asleep at the moment. (laughs) Now, we have just watched episode five of season three of The Handmaid's Tale, and it's called, and I love this, Unknown Caller. Hello. Who is this? June and Serena grapple with the revelation that Luke is caring for Nicole in Canada. I'd like to know about the man who is raising her. I want him here so badly. Leading to an incident that will have far-reaching ramifications. And we will do whatever it takes to bring her back home to you. Now, this is a very big episode with very big feelings, and uh, especially it's a huge one for Yvonne Strahovski. And on that, we are going to be featuring an interview with Yvonne later in the show. So do stick around for that. Now, this episode, I've been waiting for this one. (laughs) What do we think? Let's do our reactions around the room. Natalie, what stood out for you? My mind has changed over time. I was originally super happy to get a Serena episode, but the more I think about it, I'm just so frustrated and annoyed and angry (laughs) by it, which we can get into in a minute, but oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Hold that, put a pin in that one. Sana. I loved this episode. This episode broke me. I was a teary, bowling mess. So my highlight, I guess, would be, yeah, the phone call with Luke and then the recording to Luke and telling him that, you know, Nicole was born of love. Oh, my God. Yeah. All it all came out, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Hey, what stood out for you? Okay, I'm going to go for something a little bit more incidental. It's when uh, June finds the cassette tapes in the cellar and as she's pulling out the box, we see um, a box of, I assume, Commander Lawrence's that just says, 70s prog. <laughs> I just thought that's so fitting of him and his daggy music taste. I love that moment. <laughs> yeah, I do love that too. I took a photo of the um, screen when they were all showing there, the, like, yeah, the names of the mixtapes. There was Love Song, Travel Tunes, Mixtape Miasma. Uh, <laughs> yeah, love a good mixtape. <laughs> uh, for me, it, it was the emotion, I think, in this one because the episodes to date, they have been very moving, but I haven't been moved to tears. But this one, it really did, it, yeah, was quite streaky-faced in this one. And I think... This whole episode is kind of about feelings. Like it's it's about love. Starts with optimism with June. She's feeling really good about herself, having 
yeah. gotten Nicole to Canada. She knows she's with Luke. She's had visual proof of that. And she's on a high. She's just thinking, I did that. Yeah, <laughs> Wasn't she's actually like, a miracle? I did that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, the absence makes the heart grow fonder, as she says in this one. And she's thinking about Luke. She's thinking about sex with Luke. She's thinking about making Hannah with Luke. And then the rest of the episode, she's thinking about Luke. It's quite a moving one, this one. And so we do start at Loaves and Fishes with... She's very aware of what's happened. She knows the handmaids know as well. It's gotten out that the baby's with Luke. And she's thinking, they could resent me for this, but they don't. Everyone's a victory for one is a victory for many. They just think, okay, it is possible. I like the visual of she's measuring peas and the, the peas represent the kids, I guess. There's, oh, right. there's a few of them, but there's many, many more. And Luke mentions peas from. later. He does mention yeah. peas later. Nicole doesn't oh. eat her peas. Oh, my God, I didn't even catch that. That's <laughs> amazing. Good catch. Um, I was going to say also that there was a lot of directorial flourishes in this one. So Colin Watkinson directed this one and it started with like the the time lapse in Loaves and Fishers. And then I think I felt like there was a lot more tracking shots this time as well. Like the the feel was just a bit different. And at the end with the crane shot going into um, June's face while she's on that horrible set um, with the theatrical lighting coming up, it just it felt quite different and it had touches, I felt, of the director in there. Totally agree. And the moments that it struck me of the the was that phone call, that literal two-minute phone call, the real-time interaction between Luke and June. That's exactly two minutes, as we know, she's counting down the clock. But then for the next two minutes, you watch what happens within that scene and then it counts out. She's going back to the room. She's getting blessed by Serena, for God's sake. God bless you. Back upstairs and then Moira says to Luke, how does she sound? And then that's the end of the two minutes and then he says... Black like June. June. So it's... Oh, wow. Yeah, I was conscious of the directing in, mm. in this episode too. Right, OK. Quite beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And while we're in Loaves and Fishes, of Matthew isn't all that... Oh, she seems to be giving a message of support <laughs> for all intents and purposes, but when she says the baby should with, be with its parents, mm-hmm. there's a bit she of a discrepancy on who thinks the parent... Who, I've been which trying to the parents are. think kindly of her, even though she's not really giving us much to work with. Mm. Um, <laughs> but, wow, if you've had three babies there, like, I just was thinking the brainwashing is strong in that one, you know. But I think when June has, she says to her at some point, bite me, yeah. and which I love. But I, I, I sort of feel like it's maybe jolting her, you know. So unfortunately, what's happening with June is probably really challenging her own coping mechanisms. So I still have hope for her. Well, I think we get it at the end there. She has quite a journey in this episode. It looks like the fourth one's on the way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's got her mind. She's distracted. If it, you know, if it didn't happen with two and three, maybe four is going to be the one that tips her into resisting. But uh, yeah, the top and tail of, of Matthew this episode, she's in a different place, I think, from where she starts. And maybe being around June is making her think differently about her fourth pregnancy. She's sort of having the chance to contemplate, actually, maybe this isn't the greatest thing. She's probably thought about that previously. Mm. But I think maybe June's having an influence on her. I, I think so too. The fact that she confides in June before she confides with her commander is her first break from the straight and narrow. That's that's the first act that she does. That's not exactly what a handmaid should be doing. Right. She's staring off in the distance, quite mm. distracted. Look, she does make one comment to June at the start where it's about June's judgment in relation to the man she chose to be her husband back in the day. You wouldn't have married a man who was actually capable of kidnapping. You have much better judgment than that. And June's judgment is in focus in this episode because she does make another decision in when she's saying, I did that, I got the baby out. She also does something else pretty major in terms of 
letting <laughs> Serena see Nicole. She enables that and she chooses to make that phone call to Luke. So was that the right thing to do? Oh, yeah, I felt like I was thinking who was the biggest loser in this episode was sort of in my mind. And, um, and I ended up settling on baby Nicole. I was like, she's just a pawn, which is mm. kind of sucks. I was going to say, what is the gamble here? What is the move she's playing? What is she going to get in return? Because she said to Serena, you have to owe me. But what exactly? Mm. I mean, obviously, probably has something to do with Henna, but we don't quite know yet. I thought it was the tapes. I thought that was it. And ah. I thought, and I, and I just thought that can't be it, right? No. Like, I was thinking, please mm. don't let that. No. Please don't let that message to Luke be the big thing that you've gambled for this. No way. Yeah. No, no, it's a grand bargain. But I don't think she really knows exactly what it is yet. And I don't think Serena was expecting her to ask because <laughs> that response was, oh, oh what, do you, what do you want? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, that was kind of revealing because, of Serena. And I guess this thing, I, I said I was so annoyed by this episode. And, and one of those moments was between Serena and June. And I'm so glad that June said this back to her, which was like, I want to see my baby too. And just like the absolute sort of like impotent fury that you would have of like this woman gets to travel now to see your husband and baby and you don't get to go? You like, have to facilitate yeah. that. Yes, it's not it's just you don't just... get to go. They're asking you to make it happen. <laughs> and, and, like, and, and I guess what gets me is Serena hadn't even thought of that, you know, because she only ever thinks about herself. And it's like, and it hadn't even occurred to her that that actually might be quite upsetting for June. And to think that, oh, yeah, she might actually ask me for something. Like, come on, lady. But at the same time, they're also manipulating that because for the first time, Serena calls June, June, I think. Yes. One of yes. the yeah. first times. Fred and Serena talk about um, Luke as being her husband. They acknowledge that that's her husband. So they're they're making these concessions where they're like, okay, we get what the actual scenario is here. They're, you know, they understand the horror of it all. But they're not bringing her along. They're not, you know, it's it was bizarre. It just shows mm. it's when they want something, the rules don't apply. Much yeah. like... Fred and his fellow sons of Jacob allow Serena a seat at the table. It's, you get to have a say in this. Yeah, she's walking in there with a bit of trepidation. Last time she met with the fellas, <laughs> she lost a finger. But anyway, she's allowed a seat at this grand table where they're considering what to do about this baby that's got out. Clearly, in the aftermath of that discussion, that's where they realise, well, actually, maybe we need to go to the real source of power, June. That was funny, though, because Fred said to her, yes, you, you've got a say in this. And that came directly after um, June had been in his ear, the previous episode, mm. saying, give her a say. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that was really quick. He took that on board pretty quick, <laughs> smart. Fred's been taking notes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do love when they come to meet her at Lawrence's house and Lawrence is sort of in the background and coughing and he's very silently under his eye. <laughs> this thing's mm -hmm. happening. The words that Fred and Serena put to her, as you imagine, seeing our daughter has opened up a terrible wound. <laughs> Just that negotiating of trying to get to see Nicole. When we think of all the ways that June had to scheme and manipulate and insinuate and whatnot just to get a glimpse at Hannah as well. It's uh, mm -hmm. pretty galling. And uh, there's, Haiti on the note of the fire and the water and the whatnot that we've, mm. we've been noticing in these, did we? There was the fireplace was just simmering. It was, you know, kindling was happening there in the background when both June and Serena had their quiet moment. Whose flame? <laughs> Whose yeah. flame was, uh, was being ignited there? And also after the phone call that um, June made to Luke, she goes into the kitchen and, and it, the shot starts framed with the fire licking her face yes, as well. It's back, yeah. yeah. It's also raining in Canada at that time. So oh, that's there's right. There's a whole lot of water happening there. There's a whole lot of fire <laughs> happening in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> um, Still waiting for wind. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and on the mention of Lawrence, uh, the Lawrence is in this episode. We get 
more of a glimpse at Mrs Lawrence. Mm -hmm. She's in full possession of her faculties this time around. She's reminiscing about the good old days with with Joe (laughs) (laughs) before all this happened. I thought it was quite funny that um, she's talking about she misses who he used to be and she was trying to tell June it's just important that you know that they love you or that you love them and that he used to tell her via music. And I just thought, this man has like words and words and words. He has so many words. He has thick books full of words, <laughs> but he can only tell his wife he loves her via music. By the way, say her songs. Yes, like a mixtape and a cassette. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I thought it was great, though, that we, we finally got a meaningful conversation between Mrs. Lawrence and June because I'm really hopeful that that, relationship will develop into something really interesting and I liked the idea that June raised in that conversation about holding on to slithers of of people that Mm. remain and this idea that everyone in this world of Gilead or those who have left have been changed so much through the process and that there's little glimmers of who they used to be and in this context she's talking about Commander Lawrence but a lot of it I think in this episode is to do with with June and how much she's changed throughout her years in Gilead so far Mm. and how she's a completely different person to the June that we met at the start of the series. And I think I got to hint that when I saw the final shot where we zoomed into June, that we're really gearing up to see her rise as this kind of Mm -hmm. leader of the resistance or something like that. I I don't know, but she's going to to lead this change and that she's become a completely different person. And I think that scene with Mrs Lawrence there as well, that is a bit of a nod to the later conversation she has very privately with Luke. She's had a very public conversation with Luke, but Mm. very privately the message on the tape is, I'm not the person that I was. Things have quite dramatically changed. That was a very intimate conversation and... A lot of revelations were having to come out there. Getting a little up talking about it. Anyway, yeah. it, um, <laughs> it was hard. It was beautiful. Yeah. She just wanted to be completely transparent about everything that's going on. And she gave him permission to also move on. Yeah. Oh, just see that conversation to me. <laughs> oh, God, what are you going to say? Look, I also, also liked it. Um, but <laughs> it was... You're teary, Fiona. I'm like choked up and you're <laughs> well, just I'm bringing actually... it back down to earth now. <laughs> I'm a little bit more despairing about it. I'd, I thought that conversation was saying, I'm going to die here and I'm just not going to make it. Oh, you know, I know. I'm, I've always put that in the back of my mind as yeah, well. Yeah, I just, cause, because she's, this was her chance to tell Luke who Nicole's parents actually are. And the whole reason why she needs to say that now is because she really doesn't think that she's ever going to get out to say it herself, like, which is well, horrifying. Yeah, mm. day by day in there, you don't know what's going to happen. Things happen extremely dramatically. This might be her only chance to talk to Luke. And it's fascinating that that's what she wanted to tell him. Like, she's mm. a woman of integrity. She just needed him to know. Mm-hmm. And I love that they've introduced the tapes. It's a nod to the book, yes. the idea that The Handmaid made tapes and they got out somehow. Yeah, it's a wonderful touch. Yeah. And she's got, there's a whole shoebox of tapes there. <laughs> There's plenty she can say. <laughs> Keep pumping them out. Well, that's what I was wondering. I was wondering, okay, well, this, that's, the, that's the one tape that we've heard, but what other tapes are out there now? What else has she said? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. She does, she does have time in her hands. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that basement is soundproof. <laughs> the Guardian <laughs> didn't hear the dying handmaid down there. How did Serena get the tape to Luke in the end? Because we, the last shot we saw of the tape was she realised she had it in her old mm. bag still. So how... I it- assume she left it in the room. Ah, uh, yeah. With the clothes. Yeah. and yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
we've sort of danced around it. This is the Serena episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, Where does she stand? She gets <gasps> to Canada, to the airport. Lots of maroons and blues and everything <laughs> going on in the colour scheme this episode, Haiti. <laughs> yeah, after, after noticing the colour scheme in the interiors in the Emily episode, two episodes ago, one episode ago, now I, could, I just see them everywhere. I feel like Moira and Luke's apartment were the handmade colours and the wife colours, the walls were green, the throw on the sofa was red, and I'm just seeing them <laughs> everywhere now. I Moira's yeah. beanie was maroon at the end. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the yeah. plane had two stripes on it. One was the green of the um, <laughs> the wives, one was the red of the... The baggage trolley handmade. was maroon. Um, Nicole's stroller was And the was handsome blue. guy who meets Serena, who tried to get her to leave, had a maroon um, <laughs> puffer, like, puffer on underneath. Oh, my God. Yeah, everywhere. Uh, List them out. <laughs> we, we see the production design. Yeah, yeah we're, we're clever. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, Luke, obviously, in his very intensely short phone call with June. Happily, he didn't screen that phone call. He says, no, Fred, he cannot come. It's just has to be, you know, if anyone has to come, it has to be her. I love that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. He did. He did so good in this episode. He I'm did. so proud of Luke. Good. <laughs> yes. Because at that point, I guess he still thought, you know, Fred was the father of Nicole. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And he says it to, to yeah, yeah, in person there. As I said, Evan Strahovski is coming up, but what an episode for her. That... It's all comes out and it's, there's not a lot of dialogue really. There are a few choice lines from her, but it's all in her face when she gets there, sees that, oh, wow, I get to change clothes and is transformed by the skinny jeans and the ballet flats. So and, weird to see her in normal clothes and her hair out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just that, that glimpse across the crowded airport terminal. There's my baby. Mm-hmm. What I was grateful for in that scene is that, that is that we actually got to see her turn because she was coming across so sweet and lovely and, oh, look how big mm. she is and is she eating solids? And she was calling him Mr. Bankhole and your wife and, and she was just all sweet and lovely and respectful, which is not the Serena we know at all. <laughs> and Luke the whole time is looking at her like, who is this crazy lady? You know, <laughs> what even is this? And then finally, towards the end, she does actually turn and we get to see the real Serena when she's like, she said something like, I protected your wife. And he's like, what did she say? You need to understand, understand that, that I protected, protected your, your wife. wife. Yeah, and there's like a little bit of a threat in there. And it was the tone of voice of Serena that we all know so well. Yeah. And I'm like, there she is. But it's in a different <laughs> environment and it doesn't have the same reaction as it would in Gilead. Like she's mm-hmm. not Serena Waterford, Mrs. Waterford here. She's weird rando lady who <laughs> maybe is going to kidnap my baby. So Luke goes, what? And Torello notices and he comes over. So it cuts the conversation short. It cuts the time short by pulling a Serena. Mm. And I think she sees that, oh, wow, I'm not in Gilead anymore. And I wondered if that was why Luke agreed to hand her Nicole as well. Maybe he was like, oh, crap, okay, if she does have power over I just thought she was being so weird. She was just right, okay. yeah, she was just saying these goodbyes to the baby and it was just so bizarre because you can tell that Luke's there just thinking like, this it, is odd. Yes, this is so strange. <laughs> it's weird. He, he, just, he just rolled his eyes and just went, oh, do you want to hold the baby? Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, yeah. I think he, he lets her hold the baby when he realises in that situation she's not a threat. Yeah. Right. Same. Yeah. I think it was, yeah, he read the signal of like she thought that would work and it's, there is a protector right there. He heard that weird interaction. It's all right. She can hold the kid. <laughs> I'll get her back. Nat, you, you always are a tad cynical about Serena, but I, like I love... A tad. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> because, okay, because, because as she says, um, 
you need to remember that I protected your wife. And I'm, like, the vision that I get that I flash back to is her holding June's arms down while her husband rapes her. You know, I'm like, wow, great protecting lady. Good job. Imagine if Luke knew that. Yeah. Fair. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I am. I guess that's why I'm kind of angry about this episode is because I'm not on board with Serena at all. And so far, she's just been sort of grieving and we're not quite sure where she's where she's going to stand in all of this. And the ending, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. <laughs> like, yeah, anyway, I find it fascinating. But um, I was really hoping the show wasn't going to turn her into a great ally of June. And she just, yeah, I find her a very... I find her amazing, but frustrating. We are a bit confused with where she stands, I think, after this one, because there's a couple of things that Fred says and and Serena says that really had me thinking. So Fred, in the meeting with all the commanders, that Serena's there, at the end he says to Serena, I thought this is what you wanted. Our daughter is safe in Canada. And I was like, whoa, this is an admission from Fred that Gilead (laughs) is not safe for the daughter. Okay, so are you on board with this? And Serena said, I just want this to be over. And then I thought, okay, wait, what do you mean by that? Do you mean (laughs) Gilead? Do you Mm -hmm. mean, uh, you know, what do you mean by that? And then at the end, when she gets off the plane, she says to uh, Fred, it's all over. And he says, it doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. So what are they talking about? What's over? What's not over? Like, (laughs) Draw your own conclusions. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, where do they stand on this now? Because he's admitted that Gilead is not safe. So he understands that. So is he saying he wants Nicole back in Gilead now? When it's not over, anyways. Well, they certainly take action to herald that. Yeah, <laughs> towards yeah. the end of the episode. Yeah, he's not giving up. I think Serena changes her mind throughout the course of this episode, and whether or not you're on board with Serena, I think depends on whether or not you believe she's sincere in her feelings towards Nicole, and I think she is. And I think when she's acting in what she thinks are the best interests of Nicole. There is a sincerity that makes you feel compassion towards her or makes me feel compassion towards her. I was really torn in this episode. But when her agenda shifts back to her own self-interest, you know, that's when she loses me. So I was really conflicted in this episode uh, in my feelings towards Serena. And I think that's when the show is at its best Mm -hmm. is when you are feeling conflicted about Serena because I really felt for her when she was at her mother's house packing up those... (laughs) you know, little keepsakes to pass on to this daughter, like with the belief that they would get passed on to the daughter that means something to her. And the moment where she gets to hold Nicole and it is kind of the relationship of a mother to a daughter, even though she's not a biological mother, there are feelings that like you can see there are feelings in Serena of a mother to a daughter. And I mean, like I've got a newborn baby strapped to me at the moment, like the connection that you have with a child when they're newborn is just so profound and intimate. And I could see that in Serena's reaction, even though it's an adoptive child, which I don't think diminishes it. I just keep thinking back to something that um, Bruce Miller said to us in his interview with us last year, which is that he can imagine a whole season where Fred and Serena are um, just being tried for their war crimes. (laughs) I'd love that. That's what I keep thinking of, you know. I'm um, with you, yeah. I didn't feel compassion for her, particularly this episode. I just spent the whole time thinking, it's not your baby. You, 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 this is the, you know, this is insane. I'm going to come in here because I do think on a, what this show does in a really effective way, which is what I love, it really makes you bring yourself to it. Like it taps into your anxieties, your feelings, your everything. And here, like Serena, she's a woman who can't have a child. I can relate to that. And it, um, in this moment, like she's someone who 
she did, in an extremely fucked up weird way, have a child. <laughs> it's no longer in her life. She chose to pass it on. It's a profound, like it's a very upsetting time. Like I just, th- I just think that Monster Hosky plays that so well. She does in this scene, and I, I, I felt yeah. compassion for it. I, like I did just you? Think that- it, yeah, like it was just a natural response, and I think Luke picked up on that as well for that. Uh, that mm-hmm. moment in that scene, yeah. That, that Yvonne Strahovski can bring humanity to Serena in that moment, I think, is just an amazing feat. It's, yeah, she's not an archetypal monster. Like, she's a woman <laughs> who is is a monster in a regime. She plays her role in this horrendous environment, but also if you can possibly park that to one side for a moment to see it a side of her, I think that is what this episode does, and I think it does challenge the way you watch the scene. Yeah. I guess what I would say to that is that TV and movies, I think, have made us feel that monsters are just these sort of one-sided, horrible people who are evil 100% all the way through. And I guess that's why I actually do really like the Serena character. I like watching her. I like what everyone is doing with her, what the writers are doing with her, because you do see good and bad. Um, And that sometimes you can like her and other times you can absolutely hate her and you see all of it. And I think we got that with Lawrence as well in this this episode because I also struggled with that because the episode opened up with him complimenting his wife on her new hairstyle. And then at some point they're sitting on the couch together listening to a song that actually... Cruel to be kind. Cruel to be (laughs) kind. That was a bit on the nose, you know. That (laughs) was a bit obvious. (laughs) Very obvious. Yeah, and so I thought, okay, what are they they doing here? And I guess it feels the same again. In in my mind, he is is still a monster, but they are also showing the various sides and the human sides. Shades of grey. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) all over. The slithers that still exist of the old times. Yeah, the old people. Look, probably a good time to throw to Yvonne Strahovski. It's a... Mega Serena episode. <laughs> Let's hear from Von Strahovski herself talking about this episode, Now She Can, and playing Serena in, in all her complex glory. She was a bit nervous about revealing some of the big plot points because this was back in February. So <laughs> she was a tad nervous about telling us what happens in this episode five specifically. So there is a bit of a, can I tell them? Can I really tell them? Uh, which, which you'll hear, which is quite funny. Now, I'll also note again, this happened while I was on the set and there was a, there were other, other journalists present, so I'm going to paraphrase their questions as they weren't all on microphone. So uh, here is Yvonne Strahovski. Okay, well, let's start with where we find Serena emotionally at the beginning of this season. Well, we find Serena um, in the emotional despair of wondering whether she made the right choice or not and probably leaning towards that she didn't make the right choice. So she's distraught and full of regret and uh, probably lonelier than ever, I would say. I feel like I come to work to sob. (laughs) I do come to work to sob. (laughs) And what about the relationship with Fred? Uh, The relationship with Fred is very... um, it's at its worst, I would say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as if things could, could, can't get better in Gilead, um, they get worse. Uh, so no, it's 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 horrible between those two because Serena feels like it is because of Fred that she was driven mm-hmm. to hand Nicole over to offer to make that rash decision in the moment after having a pinky finger chopped off and all the things that. I feel like started really with Serena since or during episode eight when she was beaten by Fred. So there was kind of this breakdown of Fred really showing his true colors in a, 
and not treating Serena in a protective way, really. And so she really blames Fred for this terrible decision that she regrets making. And on the subject of sobbing, how do you find dealing with this sort of thing every day, all of the heavy content in this show, and uh, getting tired at the end of the day? Because Serena goes through a lot. Yeah, you know, I find I just kind of get on with it, really. I mean, it's on the day. I try not to think about it too much, Um, especially now the season is different from any work that I've ever done, really, in my how many years have I been doing this? 15 years now because I have a baby and I I came to work with a newborn. He was six weeks old and... Mm -hmm. And so I've been doing this season while simultaneously being a mom, bringing my kid to work every day. And I really, it's a different kind of preparation for me this season where I I feel like I'm just kind of plowing right in and everything is moment by moment because because I'm sleep deprived. (laughs) So, which probably helps when I have to do sobbing scenes. So you've brought up now that you are a mum. Is it different the way you mentally prepare for this difficult stuff now? It's different in the way that being a mum is now very inspiring in a way that I never imagined it would be. And I say that only because I, you know, unless I feel like unless you have kids, you 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 can't know that connection that a mother has with her child. I certainly never did. I never paid any attention to that, really. I didn't understand the psychology of it, and now I do. So it's very much an inspiration to me. I feel like it's making the work probably more in-depth than than it would have been had I just been drawing on my imagination and whatever else I, I would have been doing. Has it changed your connection with the story? Yeah, it's much more meaningful, more in-depth. Um, I mean, the, there will be a lot I mean, can we talk about the Nicole stuff? Oh, really? Like, really? Like, spoiler alert? Well, Dave already talked to Mike Barker and Warren. Oh, so I can talk about, like, we yeah, lost, what, no, we with Luke and that whole thing? Oh, they know. Mm-hmm. Yes. oh, okay. <laughs> no, okay, okay. So, just <laughs> checking. Uh, well, we, we did that scene recently yeah. where Serena asks to see Nicole one last time to say goodbye, or what she thinks is going to be goodbye. And now that I'm a, a mom, a real mom, I can, ooh, I can really understand how that would be incredibly challenging. And it's funny because Serena is not the birth mom to this child, but she is, uh, in her mind, the real mom, an adopted mom. I mean, there's different versions, I think, that Serena would tell herself of what kind of a mom she is, but she still feels in, entitled to that role of, of mother. And I think there's so many emotions tied to that for her as well as it was the one thing that she ever wanted in Gilead and the one thing that was going to make her life better given the rest of the circumstances are pretty shitty for her. So, um, (laughs) you know, definitely being a mom and and playing that scene even was incredibly powerful and emotional. Another sobbing scene. (laughs) (laughs) And so with this whole third season and now with Serena looking like going to Washington, she's in the middle of this dilemma between feeling empowered but also wondering what her place is in her marriage. Let's talk about what she's going through in this season. I th- yeah, well, I mean, maybe not so much the marriage, but it, it's more of a dilemma of she knows that what she did by handing over Nicole was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Technically, it was the right thing to do because 
She understands Gilead, she understands its brutality and that nobody is safe, not even the elite are safe from the punishments of Gilead as she has grown to understand. So she knows that her daughter will be subject to all of that as well. So she understands that that was the correct move, but I think it's a battle between her mind and her heart this season and her own demons. You know, I, I really think that the love for this child mixed with her loneliness mixed with her feeling like she doesn't have an escape. I really think this this child is so much more to her than than just a child, and I don't think she can think clearly anymore. And it's it's this love that she tells herself that she has, that she believes that she feels for this child that is the is the battle really between her mind. So with Serena, she played a role in creating Gilead. Uh, so she's culpable on that level for that. But uh, also she has flirted with this idea of leaving and there have been twice now those moments where she's toyed, she's been presented with the idea of defecting. Do you think there's ever a chance that she has the ability to escape this cage that she's built for herself? I think she does. I think she grapples with that as mm. well. But I think at this point, at least you know, my understanding of it, I don't know what the writers would say to this, but in, in my mind, I think she, you know, like that Mark Tuello situation in from episode nine, mm. he, he presented an offer to her that I don't think she would have ever taken in the moment because I think she's the kind of person that needs to mull over things mm. and then figure out all her avenues and manipulate the situation to the to the best of her ability so that it is the you know the biggest win for her whatever she chooses to do so and i think that um she would have not trusted the outcome either from mm. mark tuello i you know he promised her some kind of asylum in hawaii and that she would be safe but i'm not sure that she buys that mm. at all who knows if she would end up in a prison or not and i, I think that would really need to be sort of a more secure avenue for her if she were to ever go down that route. So for now, I think she does feel stuck. So it's that constant sort of thing of, I've got to go back to Gilead. How do I make this work for me? How can I survive this? Just mm. like anybody really is trying to survive this system. So this show obviously tackles some pretty heavy themes. It's, you know, about the oppression of women. So it suffers from a bit of a public blowback about being too violent, uh, that it crosses a line. Do you hear that? Yeah, I do. I, it's a fine line. I mean, a, a lot of people take a hard stance with that and say, well, toughen up. This kind of stuff is happening across the world, so you should be able to watch it. I don't know if you should be able to watch it, given that all this stuff is happening in the world. I think it's incredibly sad that a lot of, if not everything, that we portray on the show is happening somewhere in the world. I, I think that's what makes it so hard to watch. And it, and it should be hard to watch because it's not easy to see people have their rights taken away from them. But I do think it is an important show, whether you watch it or not. I think just the, the fact that people know what it's about and what it represents, I think, to a lot of people who watch it is important and it is enough, really. I mean, it's not like we ever set out to be a political show in the first place. I, I mean, and I'm not one of the creators or the writers, but I, I, I've heard Bruce and everybody say that, you know, we were just trying to make a good show. But it's amazing that it has turned into something that is actually a meaningful message. I think that's very powerful, and I think that's really the true meaning of art, isn't it? To sort of reflect life and make people think and talk and inspire people to make a change and talk amongst themselves. 
So what's it like working on the set of The Handmaid's Tale? Uh, especially most of your scenes are with Elizabeth Moss and Joseph Fiennes. Give us some insight. What's, what's it like working on this show? Um, everyone on this show brings their A-game from the actors to the designers to the writers, everyone. It's very detail-oriented and it pays off. And so I've always been truly inspired by the scenes that I get to do with those guys. I mean, in particular, I spend most of my time with Lizzie and, and Joe. And it's like magic, really. I know that sounds really corny, but it is. Uh, for an actor, when you get to come to work and really play and you f feel the play with the other people that you're working with, that's the best case scenario and that's what we get to do. Plus, we have writers that really create material for us that is very in-depth and, and layered and I think that's the, the real joy is we, we really have the material there to be able to come up with, with something quite in-depth every time. And speaking of the scenes you have with Elizabeth Moss and Joseph Fiennes, Obviously, the rape scene last year was one of the most difficult for a lot of people to watch. And uh, when you have scenes like that and dealing with themes like this, Serena goes to a very dark place. And you mentioned how what she does to survive in this regime. But what percentage of her do you think is a victim and what percentage is a perpetrator? Or does it fluctuate? Oh, my God, I don't know how to answer that. That's, that's a tough question. I think, it, I think it does fluctuate and I think she would... I think she'd probably feel like she's more victim because it makes her feel better about being the perpetrator. Mm, yes. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think she's aware of what she is on the other side of it. But I, whether she's conscious of it every day is another question. Mm. As I was reading the scripts, I realised they showed a lot more colour in Serena's character, so there was a lot more vulnerability, and I... I mean, as an audience member, I understand that that's something that people can connect to when you when you watch anything. And so in that sense, it's not surprising to me that people did connect more with Serena. I mean, I always try to find the heart of why she does what she does or the reason for, which is awful. Like, in a lot of ways, I, I, I'm like Serena's best friend because I have to understand her so well, but it's also a terrible position to be in because she's so awful. So <laughs> I feel very dirty saying that, that I justify all her actions um, from afar, <laughs> but not so far. So, yeah. Cool. All right, Yvonne, you and me are back on set. Oh, Thank okay. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. So obviously she had to go shoot a scene. I really love that interview. It was so great. It's also great to hear her accent, by the yeah. way. But wow, it really sort of brought home to me, because even though you can tell by looking at her in the show, she had to come back to work and the baby's only six weeks old. Like, wow, that is a lot and that is hard. And I'm suddenly feeling very grateful that I was able to take a year off and did not have to think about work in that time. And wow, Hollywood, I think, is really harsh on actresses and just women who work in that industry. They try and time their babies around like TV show production times. So I'm really feeling for Avon having to know that her baby's back in her trailer and she's there on set crying her eyes out. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and the, the, a lot of women have talked about the fact that they can't watch Handmaids after they've had children or while they've been pregnant because it's just too close to home. So for her to, to be acting all of that and feeling all those feelings and giving that emotion mm. while having a baby and having a newfound sense of what this all potentially means is pretty incredible, I think. And all those hormone changes as well yeah. that your body would be going yeah. through. 
<laughs> I feel like I feel I like feel I should like, say something. You don't have to. And I'm saying that now that Katie is here and and working and she's got her baby strapped to her chest. Yeah, yeah I feel like I should say something because I've got a, a, yeah, a like one month old baby strapped to my chest at the feel. moment. It's baby number two. It's all different. Uh, but I'm too sleep deprived, so I can't think of anything to say. That's fine. I love how she's talking about Serena's motivations, how she waxes and wanes, and like mm. we say, she can be quite empathetic or appear to be empathetic, but then she's got her eyes on the prize and mm-hmm. for her the prize is the child uh, and she switches back into Serena mode. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Just going back to um, Serena's meeting with Luke at the airport, what struck me as really odd was at no point did Luke ask about Hannah or mm. try to gamble for seeing Hannah mm. at all. Did anyone else notice that and think, it, why isn't he mentioning Hannah? Yeah, he, he was more reacting to immediately having... Serena Waterford in his presence. God bless you. And saying fuck you. Fuck you. Saying like <laughs> and the, uh, about her husband. What's his role in this? Uh, like it was more. Uh, here's my chance to stick it to her. He wasn't playing for leverage, and I think that's mm-hmm. in Gilead. That's all you do. <laughs> like all the conversations you have are stakes, and what can I get out of this? Whereas he's reacting to this weird moment. He's more in the quote unquote normal world, where maybe you're not always thinking like that. Maybe mm. it is literally his the woman who was part of a couple who oppressed my wife on a daily basis, I'm going to let her have it. So, yeah, it, it was strange he didn't bring up Hannah. I don't know. I think if he probably had his time over, he probably would have if he'd thought it through. Yeah. But maybe he was just lost in the moment of the scene. He did seem like he was just reeling from it all. Yeah. But yeah, because, yeah, June is playing this high-stakes game every single day, whereas he has been um, looking after a baby, working part-time, back in kind of like, normal world so yeah he's just yeah. He's, he's just not in that headspace yeah serena is tempted again with the idea of defection torello has another go has another shot and mentions the treason and coconuts for anyone who maybe well, didn't you, draw the put two and two what? together it's the same guy the oh. treason and coconuts line you say tempted but she's now quite easily turned it down twice yes no no yeah, yeah. like tempting but. which i was surprised by because initially you know a couple episodes i think i remarked whether or not she was regretting her decision mm. not to have stayed behind but she's Clearly still committed to getting back to Gilead. Yeah, and Yvonne just said that as well. Like, you know, will she be um, tried for war crimes? There's, there's that going on. Miss that. But the door has been left open because there's a satellite phone in her handbag and a note saying, in yeah. case you change your mind. Yeah. You know, there's... That, that She's still got options. Open. She's got the option if she changes her mind in the future. <laughs> Absolutely. And did you catch as well when she was walking back and like past the exit sign and towards... She was going, he was still trying to have a little in her ear. There was a woman... Yes. And was she the decoy? Was she ready oh. and raring? Because she looked very much like a von Strahovski. Had not quite the camel coat, but almost. Ooh, didn't it, notice that. Same hair. Like, it looked like we got one ready to go. If you're out, I don't know. She, I assume she was maybe, a, like, she would have been would have been ready to take that guardian out or something. <laughs> I don't think they're swapping <laughs> and sending another woman back. But there was, yeah, it just struck me. That's not just some random woman standing there. I think this is part of a plan if Good catch. you want to catch that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. and then there's the the change of heart in Serena at the end, which is shifting the the narrative of the series now. She was almost happy to let the goodbye with Nicole be the end of it until Fred suggests that that might not be her only option. And suddenly, it seems Serena now wants to bring Nicole back home. Fred, I think that was his way to woo Serena back into his life, dangle the mm. prom- the carrot mm. of the child, and she's <laughs> got a one-track mind. I think she took him up on that offer. This stage-managed presentation to the world on a on a on a TV set. I thought it was odd that um, June was even there 
standing as the handmaiden in the background. And it felt like proof of life to me. Yes. Very much. It reminded me of the episode in season one uh, with the Mexican dignitaries where she had to be the good handmaid ah, yeah. in front of, mm. well, the world in the, in the living room then at that point. But here it's Lydia again, that brief moment, assume the posture, <laughs> pop your head down. <laughs> Thanks, Lydia. Obviously, they just needed to present the perfect Gilead family, the perfect grieving Gilead family, uh, trying to play this as a kidnapping and make Luke the villain make Emily the villain, I think this introduces the potential to have more Emily. But they've admitted yeah. that Gilead's not safe for Nicole. So to what? themselves. Privately. So what yeah. are they going to do to keep her safe when she gets... I don't know. I yeah, guess. but Serena, you know, wanted to go and say goodbye. Having more contact with Nicole is not going to make her want to say goodbye. That yeah. Was, <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. And I think Luke's reluctance to, to take the keepsakes and hand them on, his reluctance to tell Serena that he would tell the child about her... Yeah, has also helped that change of heart. Probably shocked her a bit, yeah, because she wanted him to tell the legacy of this <laughs> grand gesture that her other mum <laughs> did for her. Yeah, like Jean said, the meeting that. wasn't going to go the way she thought it was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for anyone, it didn't work out that way. And the Lydia, the brief moment of Lydia, from last week... She's I, bounced back. Well, I think so. <laughs> I think that horrendous, brutal attack on Janine probably helped her <laughs> in the eyes of Gilead. <laughs> Lifted her spirits. Well, I think, you know, seeing Lydia play the role of chief enforcer for uh, out-of-control handmaid, I think reinforced her position. Right, so yeah. she doesn't seem to have suffered any... If anything, she's got a bit more of a... Spring in her step. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> not, not the holy roller anymore. She's standing <laughs> yeah. up and, uh, yeah, making June fly right. So... <laughs> We were talking about winners and losers in this episode. <sighs> June, the top and tail I like of the optimism of her smile at the start where she's thinking, yeah, I did this. And at the end, it's, hmm. well, I did this. And I'm going <laughs> to do more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now watch me. Yeah. She tried to do, do a deal with the devil with the water fits there. And um, yeah, she's probably got to change her tack going forward. So probably time for predictions. What do we think? Episode six we're up to now. Nat, I'll start with you. What do you think? Well, I was kind of thinking of what I want from the next episode and I kind of almost don't want to say it, but um, I'm actually thinking that the show is is missing the horror elements this year. Like I know that Janine copped that awful beating of Lydia, which really was horrible. But I think my frustration is that the stakes actually seem a bit low for June at the moment. She keeps getting away with everything and she's kind of doing some weird stuff, you know, by like, helping the Lawrences get their marriage back on track. You know, it's, and I think people didn't want to see violence. And so they've sort of tried to like fix that or like pair it back this season. But I actually wonder if when we say we don't want the violence, we don't really know what we want, you know, <laughs> and, and it's kind of gone. And so I've been trying to sort of interrogate these feelings because I, sort of, I certainly don't want to be saying, I want to see more women beaten on screen, you know, like that's really not what I want. But, um, the thing is, though, is that is that life for women is hard and has been hard and we've all sort of been thinking about it in the last couple of years. It's sort of been front and centre. In, and in Australia, we have, like, massive conversations and I, I swear headlines every week about domestic violence. I feel like we've already had multiple candlelight vigils recently. You know, like, life is pretty shit out there and women are suffering in real life and at the moment... I'm kind of finding it weird that June's just sailing along in Gilead. I know she got a cattle prod by Lydia, but um, and we have seen some Marthas hanging. And I'm still horrified by the shipment of women from Chicago who are in cages. 
but I almost feel that we now as viewers need to be shocked back into the horror of Gilead. And so I'm kind of bracing myself that that's what's coming for episode six. And I'm also trying to tell myself now that we actually probably do need to see it. And that's been the criticism from critics and viewers too, that that it feels like June's getting away with too much. I've read that quite a lot, actually. And so like, and how's this? I'm trying to like be fair about it. And the experience for Handmaids depends on what the husband and wife is like in that household. And so she got a bum deal with Serena because that woman is just <laughs> nuts, right? Whereas Kamata Lawrence's wife, they had a really sort of lovely, empathetic conversation. And like Emily had been in a nice house as well before. So I think their experience depends on who you actually get. I do love when... Uh they did have that conversation that she's still a wife in Gilead because June has literally just gotten off the phone to her husband who she's been forcibly separated from. She was forced to make that phone call for the benefit of the assholes who raped her in her last household. But Mrs Lawrence comes in to ask her how she is, but really to tell her how she's feeling about not connecting with her husband anymore. So, like, she managed to flip that conversation pretty quickly. So, yes, they had a caring and sharing moment, but she just wanted a bit of marriage counselling from June. She didn't really want to talk things out. Handmaids are there to serve. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Sana, what are you looking forward to? I, I think I'm still just waiting to get to DC from, from the preview shots that we've seen. Mm. I'm really interested to know what goes on in DC. And I think that's going to be a, probably a pretty pivotal scene in the whole season. So yeah. that's what I'm still looking out for. Yeah. Heidi, what about you? That trucking shot zooming into June at the very end of this episode was so powerful for me. I actually rewound it and watched it several times because it felt so good to watch. Just the the trembling anger in her facial expressions. I'm just on the edge of my seat waiting to see how she will react to this change of heart in the Waterfords. Mm -hmm. Like I said earlier, I think June is gearing up for for something big. She's ready to rise. (laughs) (laughs) And often the song at the end credits gives you a hint of what's to come. So... Sunday Bloody Sunday from mm. U2 at the end. That means, yeah, shit's really about to go down, potentially. Yeah, yeah. And I like that it was sort of the original version of it. It's a bit rough and ready. It's, um, yeah, the first album version of Sunday Bloody Sunday. So Back when U2 were good. <laughs> <laughs> Before they forcibly put your so- their songs on your phone. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Um, and and can, I, can I just give a shout-out to the music supervisor of this series, yeah. Maggie Phillips? She's so good. I love how these jarring pop culture songs really shift the series, bring it back down to earth, Mm. remind us that this reality isn't so far from the one that we're in. Yeah. And and she's also done some really fantastic other work. She did, especially recently, Wild Wild Country. She did the music for that, which is a fantastic series with fantastic music. And that one's on Netflix, isn't it? It is on Netflix. Yeah. Um, and just on the music, we will have an interview with Mike Barker, who is the executive oh, producer, amazing. but he's the he's the supervising director across this whole series. And yeah, asked him about the music and the use of, and the choice of songs and mm. when they choose not to put songs and people's attitudes towards the use of songs uh, throughout the series. So we're going to have that one coming up in a couple of weeks as well. I'm not going to speculate, but yeah, we're going to be episode six next week. So on that declaration of war, it looks like at the end of this episode, we do know that there are Washington scenes coming up soon. They released the photos of that incredible assembly at the um, the Washington Monument. So they've got to be coming soon, right? And we'll see. So thank you for listening. We hope that helped. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Sana Kadar, Natalie Hambly, Haiti Island and baby Greta, who slept through the whole thing. <laughs> 
We love hearing your comments about this show and about this podcast. So feel free to leave feedback and give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you reach out on Twitter, use the hashtag EyesOnGilead. We have been loving reading some of your responses to these first few episodes of this season. Keep it coming. And hypothetically, if we miss something or if we uh, get something wrong, call us out on that. Someone noted that for better or worse in terms of the marriage vows when Emily a couple of weeks ago was in, I was going to say in Specsavers, in the, uh, <laughs> as the optometrist. Uh, and are things better or worse? Yeah, obviously she called her wife straight after that because when do you say for better or worse? But in oh, marriage vows. That was great. great pickup. Wasn't That's it? Amazing. Good one. Yeah. Any other pickups? I had someone reach out on Instagram to say um, they thought Serena burning the house down, starting with the bed, burning the bed, was really significant Mm. because that's the bed on which June was raped. So is this Serena very emphatically rejecting the whole system of of Gilead, which I thought was super insightful. I didn't... Of course, she started with the bed, burning it down, and then the whole house. Yeah, it was great. Um, We had someone else reach out and have a listener in Alabama. Hello. Who uh, noted that uh, when we were talking about Alabama a couple of episodes ago about the idea of choice and uh, the restriction of that certainly in Alabama and other states in the US at the moment, noted that Margaret Atwood started uh, Handmaid's Tale when she was teaching at the University of Alabama. There you go. No way. Yep. (laughs) All this multi-layered context that we get out of here. So, look, we love it. Keep it coming. We are tracking all of that. You can find me on Twitter at Anything But Fifi. Natalie, where can we find you? At Natalie Hambley. Sana, where can we find you? At Sana underscore Kadar. Heidi? At Heidi Island. And uh, as we say, use the hashtag Eyes on Gilead. For more Handmaid's coverage, head to SBS Guide, where you'll find some more recommendations for other things to watch as you await the next episode. Speaking of which, new episodes of The Handmaid's Tale premiere every Thursday on SBS and at SBS On Demand. Eyes on Gilead is produced by me, Fiona Williams, and edited and mixed by Jeremy Wilmot. You don't own me, I'm not your property, so take your dirty Sorry, but we need to wrap this up. Good. Until next time, don't let the bastards grind you down.